Let's pray together this morning. Father, God, we, Lord, come before your throne of grace. Lord, acknowledging that, God, we need you to speak your truth into our hearts and our lives. And then, God, we need you to, Father, conform our lives to the truth that you speak. Father, we cannot do it of our own accord. We cannot do it by our own power. It must be by the Spirit of the Most High. So, Father, we ask that you touch our lives in such a way, God. And, Father, I pray, Lord, for, God, those who, Lord, are not even inhabited by your Spirit. God, those who are, Lord, they are lost. They are are dead in their sin and in their trespasses. Lord, I pray that you, the mighty Savior, would make them alive. Cause them to be born again. I pray, Father, that as the word is preached and taught, that, Father, wherever that word falls, whether it's in here in this congregation or whether it is in some podcast somewhere, who knows where around the world, God, I pray that sinners will be made alive through the word of truth. That saints will be equipped with the word of truth. Lord, it is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. All right. Well, it is a uh, milestone for us today. We are going to move into Ephesians chapter 2. So, after much blood, sweat, toil, and tears, we're going to uh, plant ourselves in Ephesians chapter number 2. And I want to read as our text this morning the first three verses of Ephesians chapter number 2. Paul says... If you would, you could stand for the reading of God's Word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You may be seated. Wow. That is a sobering assessment of the human condition. This reality of spiritual 
death. And I would drop as a title over these three verses, The Living Dead. Uh, That may sound like the title of some grade B horror flick, um, but it's not. It is a sobering reality. It is the way it is in the human family apart from God's grace. So a matter of fact, because of what Paul is beginning to talk about here in Ephesians chapter 2, this is why the reality of a sovereign Savior is absolutely essential. If your Savior isn't sovereign, if your Savior isn't the big and mighty God that is displayed over in chapter 1, then you have a Savior that cannot save you because you, my friend, friend at one time were dead in your sins and in your trespasses. Wow. Well, I don't want to do anything fancy this morning. Just walk through this text of Scripture and let it speak for itself. Let's think about what Paul is saying here. What he's writing to these recipients of this letter, which are the Ephesian Christians, which consequently are us as well. Let's think about it. He's saying, first of all, um, the reality is, the fact is, um, spiritual death is real. Paul writes and he says, you, you were dead. Dead. Obviously, they were breathing. Obviously, this is something bigger than physical death. It's a spiritual death. He says, you were dead. Who was dead? Well, these Ephesian Christians. Because remember, he's writing to these um, who have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's writing to these who are the saints in Ephesus. He says, you were dead. Every single one of you. Every one of you who are now Christian, you were dead. Just like, he goes on and said that text, just like the rest of mankind. In other words, you once were dead and the rest of mankind, they are dead. Dead. Wow. Dead. We're born dead. We were dead at conception. You realize that? What what does the psalmist say? talks about David says we were born dead. In sin, we were born, we were conceived, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The moment you became an embryo in the mother's womb, you were dead spiritually. You were born that way, you were dead at birth. And you were dead every single second of every single hour of every single day of every single week of every single month of every single year until Christ saved you. Wow. And if Christ hadn't saved you, you'd still be dead. In your sins and in your trespasses. 
When we think of death, not you weren't dead like in a morgue. You were dead to God. You were dead to faith. You were dead to a real relationship with Him. You were dead to submission to His authority. You were dead to all things good and right. You were dead. And you couldn't do anything about it. And because we were dead, that's why we needed such a great and mighty sovereign Savior, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen? Amen. So the fact is, there's a fact. This fact is spiritual death, Paul says. He's reminding us of it. He says you were dead. But notice that the dead have a way of having their life and their being. Now, we obviously, you know, you can line up people. You couldn't, I couldn't line up a group of people and just walk up to them and figure out who's spiritually dead. I mean, I, I, I might could make some assessments about it, uh, but if you spent time with somebody seven days a week, 24 hours day, then you would get more than a snapshot of their life. And you would begin to see little things that become indicative of those that are spiritually dead. And so Paul begins to show us some of these things that are indicative of the spiritually dead. He's reminding them of what they were, that they don't forget where they were and what they were. And he's telling us some things about spiritually dead people. And one of the things that he's telling us is, guys, dead men walk. And they have a unique way of walking. They have a, they have a certain gait about their walk. You know, everybody has a unique way of walking. There's a certain gait about us. Um, I, I, I remember when I worked in security at Shelton State Community College a long time ago when I lived in Tuscaloosa. I remember that... Uh, I, I, I walked across, I remember walking across the parking lot one day and I saw this lady at a distance just sort of wave at me. She was kind of, she was, she was, she was watching me and I, I thought, what is this, you know, what in the world? And so later on that day, I realized who this what lady told me who she was. She said, you have got to be Billy Livingston's son. I said, well, I am. She said, I knew it before I ever saw you. The way you walk, you guys have the exact same gait. And now that I see you, I know you're Billy Livingston's son. But they're, they're just a signature way of walking. We have, well, guess what? The dead, the living dead, they have a signature way of walking. They have a certain walk about them. Their walk is distinctly shaped by true primary influences that define our lives apart from Christ. What does Paul say here? In this text, well, he says that the philosophy of this world impacts the way in which we're walking, and that walk is consequently influenced by Satan himself. 
Now listen, let's think about these individually. First of all, the philosophy of the world. The text says that when the Ephesians were spiritually dead, what it said, they walked, they walked following the course of this world. They walk. Well, walk, here, walk, that's, that is referring to their way of life. Their whole way of life followed the pattern and the course and the philosophy of this world. And, and we're not talking so much about the things you do right here as it is the way you think, which of course affects the way you do. But the philosophy of the world is a mindset. The, the course of the world is a mindset. And it's a, it's a godless mindset. It is an anti-Christ mindset. It is a self-centered mindset. And that affects the way in which you live. And that's what defines spiritually dead people. The spiritually dead are not inhabited by God. And so as they follow this worldly philosophy without God at the center, they can become all manner of evil. There is no restraint within them. And it is a terrible predicament that we find ourselves in following the course of this world, a, a philosophy that began with Adam's rebellion and will continue until Christ returns. Guys, we were, we were that's who we were. That's where our mind was. The text goes on to say, and he says, what? For they were, as they were following the course of the world, it says they were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You see, in following the way of the world, we are automatically following Satan, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons and in the daughters of disobedience. You see, the course of this world, the philosophy of this world is directed and dictated by Satan himself. He literally choreographs the thinking and the desires and the lifestyles of the lost, of the spiritually dead. He is the spirit, as the text says, the spirit that is now at work in the children of disobedience. He is the so-called God with a little g of this world, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. And he is called the prince of the power of the air and the sinners around us act as they do because Satan himself energizes them. Every lost person, every lost person, they may not be possessed by a demon, but Satan literally energizes and anoints, if you will, their life. And every one of us in this room were once the anointed of Satan. Dead in our sins and in our trespasses. Dead men walk. They have a way of life. And that way of life is influenced by the godless mindset of the world that is dictated and directed by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons and the daughters of disobedience, that is Satan himself. Now notice also another observation here is that 
the dead are wicked. They're wicked. When you're dead in your sins and in your trespasses, you are wicked. Now, we all deal with wickedness within. Even those that have been made alive by the sovereign grace of God still deal with wickedness, the wickedness of remnant sin, or as Paul would call it in in the book of Romans, indwelling sin. But that's not the defining characteristic of our life. That's not the... You see, dead men are perpetually wicked. That is who they are. Perpetual wickedness is the fruit of having followed the prince of the power of the air and the philosophy of the world. The text goes on to say there in Ephesians, they were among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. So first of all, the dead are wicked and they're wicked in in their appetites. They're wicked in their appetites. Now, they lived in the passions or the desires of their flesh. Now, passions are good and right when they're regulated by the Holy Spirit. So this is not anti-passion. This is not making us to where we have to be some sort of stoic follower of Christ. Passions are good and right and God-given when they're God-centered and God-focused and they're God-regulated. But they're not regulated by God here. When the, the, for the spiritually dead, they are influenced by Satan. And we once, and the spiritually dead now, live in the passions of their flesh. And dead men cannot control their passions. There is no Holy Spirit there to give any level of self-control. They really are a slave to their own nature. And their passions Rage at times out of absolute control. And because of their appetites, because of their passion, they are consequently wicked in their actions. Because the text says dead men lived, lived, lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out, carrying out, that is doing the desires of the body and the mind. They would carry it out. They would carry out the passions and the desires. Now, as believers, 90% of our struggles are carried out by the desires which wage war against our own mind. It's, a, it's here. And what prevents us so often of, of, of actually becoming what we think and what helps us to take captive those thoughts in obedience to Jesus Christ is the fact that the Holy Spirit is within us and that helps us and prevents us. But they have nothing to prevent that. And so 90% of what dead men think, they will do eventually. They will do it. They will do it. Now... Some of you are beginning to relax a little bit as I talk about wickedness because you think, well, I'm not that wicked of a person. 
You think when you think of wickedness, you think about people like Joseph Stalin, perhaps, who murdered 50 million people in order to consolidate his power. Or you think about, oh, wickedness, that's Adolf Hitler who exterminated some 6 million Jews. Or you think about wickedness, you think about Ethiopia's a man who would kill his enemies and then literally eat their hearts. You think, oh, that's wicked, and that's wicked. But that's not all that's wicked. You see, that same wickedness that caused Stalin to do what Stalin did, that same wickedness that caused Hitler to exterminate six million Jews, that same wickedness that caused Idi Amin to eat the hearts of his enemy is the same wickedness that caused that precious little boy to steal that pack of gum at the store or to cause that precious little girl to tell that lie to mommy. It's the same wickedness. It's the same spirit of wickedness that causes you to gossip and to fight and to hate and to backbite. It's that same wickedness. It's wicked. And we need a great and mighty Savior to save us from that wickedness. It is wicked. The wicked depravity of the human family I think is pictured well in a story about a little boy whose mama put him in the closet because he'd been disobedient. Now, if you put him in the closet today, you might get a visit from DHR. So, but you put a little boy in the closet because he's just being bad. And she wasn't going to try to abuse him or anything. Just put him in the closet. It, it was a little time out, I guess. All right. She could have beat him. And so uh, after a little while, she opened the door and looked at little Timmy or whoever he was, and he just looked angry and defiant and just not sorry for whatever he had been doing. And the mother looked at him and said, what, just what are you doing? And the little boy angrily replied, and I will quote what I read. The little boy said this, I pit on your shoes, I pit on your dress, I pit on your coat, and I'm standing here waiting for more pit, and I'll pit on something else. Okay, come in. That defiance of that young child is indicative of the rebellion that we are born with, with the depravity that we are corrupted with, with the deadness that flows through our veins, with the deadness that every little girl and every little boy and every person born of woman carries within them. And unless we are saved, we will bear the consequences of that wickedness that we are born with. We are responsible. My friends, that little baby, when you first looked at it, when I held my son in my arms, and when I had the privilege of cutting that umbilical cord, and I looked at my daughter, they each had the potential of being little Osama bin Laden. Wow. Wow. 
wicked. That is the way of dead people. And because dead men are wicked and walk in wickedness and all of mankind is dead apart from the saving grace of God, they are, dead men are, according to our text, the living dead are objects of divine wrath. They are objects of divine wrath. What does the text go on to say? Listen to what it says. It says of them, they were by nature children of wrath. That's the Bible. It's what God's Word says. Because of their wickedness, they were set apart for the wrath of God. They were damned by their nature. Do do you understand? It is not so much the sin you do that damns you by the wrath of God as it is the fact that you are a sinner by nature. What you do is only symptomatic of who you are. Who are you apart from God's grace? You're a sinner dead in your sins and in your trespasses. You're a slave. You're a slave. Absolute slave. You want to talk about free will? Here's free will for a lost person. They're slaves to their sin. They do what they want and you want to know what they want to do? They want to sin. And they'll mask it and they'll disguise it and they'll twist it and they'll turn it because that's what we do by nature. We're sinners and it is our nature that we have inherited from Adam that puts us at enmity with God. It is the corruption that we are born with flowing through our veins that will damn sinners to hell unless they repent and embrace Jesus Christ. That is the truth. That is the truth. They are damned By nature, they are damned by God's decree. They are children of His wrath. Now, the word wrath that is used here, it it comes from a word that means to be red-faced. It is the image of someone who has held their anger back for a long time, but has finally reached the end of his patience. Well, God has been very patient with you and with me and with humanity. He has given mankind thousands of years to repent and to turn to Him. Yet the world stands in stubborn rebellion against God. And it stands in rebellion against God's command to repent to men everywhere. Wow. And that is not a good thing because there will come a day when His wrath, a wrath that is only seen in part right now, will be totally uninhibited on the planet. Paul also wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 
verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. He says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Who is that? That's the spiritually dead. He says, They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on that day to be glorified in His saints. Wow. Wrath comes. Wrath is coming. You will not escape, dead man, in your own power, for you have none. You're dead. And saints, we could not have escaped either because we were dead. But God was gracious to us. Oh, and we're going to see the good part next week when we move into the next, next few verses about but what God did. But let me just say to you right now that the only hope of escape is through God's provision in Jesus Christ. That's it. The Bible says, Paul says, the Holy Spirit spoke through the Paul the pen and through the pen of Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. While we were still dead in our sins and in our trespasses, while we were still following the course of this world, following after the prince of the power of the air, while we were still out living for our own fulfillment and the indulgement of our own wicked appetites, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we now have been justified by His blood. How much more shall we be saved then from the wrath of God, writes Paul. Hallelujah. 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 So trust Jesus. Repent and turn to Jesus. And if you don't trust Jesus and turn to Jesus and treasure Jesus, John 3 and verse 36 reminds us that the wrath of God remains upon you. You dead in your sins and trespasses. Christ has not absorbed His wrath for those who do not turn to Christ. The Bible clearly says, John 3.36, the wrath abides, it remains on you. And you digress back up to about verse 18. Jesus says of those like that, they're condemned already. Wow. Today, this message has really a threefold purpose. The message on one hand is a, a warning to the lost. It's a reminder there's only one answer for you. It's Jesus Christ. That's it. The message is also a reminder to the redeemed. Church, you, you need to remember. You're not what you used to be, but you need to be remembered. And you need to remember from whence He has brought you. And you're not where you need to be yet, but you need to be thankful that you're on your way and you need to praise Him as you think about these things. 
And then thirdly, this message is a call to prayer. It's a call to prayer. It's to pray for your children and your grandchildren and your family and your friends that are perishing. It's to, it's to take them to Jesus because, folks, only Jesus can save them. It's to take them to Jesus because if Jesus doesn't save them, they're done. It's to take them to Jesus because there is no, there is no hope for them apart from Him. I mean, you can manipulate them. A lot of well-meaning parents have manipulated their kids and told them, why don't you join the church? Why don't you make a decision for Christ? Why don't you pray a prayer? And all they did was make them scared of hell and they go through the mechanics of a ritual. There is no ritual that will save you. There is only one. He is the righteous one. He is Jesus Christ. He alone. So you trust in Christ. You look to Christ. Christ only saves. Everything else is just a bunch of religious rabble. It's Jesus. Only Jesus. He is Lord. And He is Christ. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we bow before You. And Lord, we need You to help us to respond rightly to this Word. For God, Your Scripture is true. For we who are yours once were dead in the trespasses and sins. Sins that we walked in as we followed the course of the world. As we followed the prince of the power of the air. As we were in submission to the spirit that is, was at work in us. That spirit of disobedience. Lord, we thank You for what You have done through Christ. And Lord, I pray that You help us to savor these words, to remember these words for Your glory and our good. Lord, have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.